Have any of you ever been to, uh, just recently, to maybe a new building where, uh, like, like a new movie theater or maybe a new hospital, new McDonald's, and gone into the bathroom and seen those motion-censored faucets and stuff? Okay, you know, they have, like, motion-censored faucets, motion-censored hand blowers. Okay, I seem really loud, okay? Uh, the towel dispensers. Ladies, you ever come in contact with one of those motion-censored toilets? For you, I won't go into great detail, but men, y'all are blessed, okay, let me just say. Because if we do it the way our mamas taught us, and that is to never sit on a public toilet seat, you know, you're just kind of like hovering. And if you like flex a muscle, it thinks you're done when you're not, and then it proceeds to flush and you get your second shower for the day, okay? So... Um, I had my mom when my mom was visiting a couple weeks ago, and she and I, she and I went uh, shopping, and we went into a, a, a bathroom, and she just doesn't get out a lot because she's always home with my dad, and so she, she knew about the motion sensor faucets, but this one was a little tricky. You know, some of them are just like, if you kind of even make any movement toward them, the water comes on. And some of them, you have to sit there and, you know, get it just right. You have to like look at the little sensor, you know, you have to get in there. And, and she just couldn't get it to work. And so I was like, you know, trying to help her with it. And so that next day when I was having my devotions, I, that came back to my mind about, you know, trying to help my mom with the faucet. And uh, the Lord said, you know, I'm kind of like that. You have to figure out what my sensor is. And I started reading the Bible that week, thinking about that. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. And that is that our God is a motion-sensitive God. Now, how many of you have seen the commercial for clap on, clap off, the clapper? Okay, well, that was what we were attempting to do here this morning. So girls and guys on the front row, here we go. The youth are going to be my, my guinea pigs here. Everybody can help me. Clap. When I say our God is a motion-sensitive God, you clap twice. Only twice. Ready? Our God is a motion-sensitive God. Okay? Now, we're going to see how long it behaves itself. If it keeps going on and off by my voice, I said, y'all knew that was the anointing right there. We're not speaking it. So anyway, if it, if it becomes a distraction, we're going to have Catherine come up here and unplug. Okay, we're just going to go ahead and unplug it, Catherine. Okay, it was going to be really good, but that's all right. Um, so this morning, I just want us to look at some scriptures that talk about this. Let's look first at Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48. Now, this is the story of when Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. And he had gone ahead and he had said to his disciples, I want to send you on ahead of me. Go across the lake, get in the boat, go across the lake. I'm going to spend some time in prayer and I'll meet you guys later. So let's pick up right there. It says, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, meaning Jesus, was alone on land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Now let me tell you what the Amplified Version says. He acted as if he meant to pass them by. Now, how many times have you read that scripture? Have you ever seen that? I had never seen that till this week. He acted as if he was going to pass them by. But they did something to get his attention. Let's look at verse 49. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. In the Amplified Version, it says they shrieked with terror. Now, I can just imagine, they all sound like a bunch of little girls in that boat. Don't you wish that the Bible was wired for sound? I just think that would be so cool. You know, I know some of that, like, Bible on DVD, they do kind of have a little bit of sound going. But I wonder if on this one they have them sounding like a bunch of little girls or not. Probably not. But um, I'm just wondering, even though they didn't know who it was, do you think they were going, Jesus! Oh, Jesus, help us! Help us, Jesus! Have y'all ever had to cry out for Jesus? When Kevin and I were dating... We went to college in Kansas City, actually Olathe, Kansas, and um, my parents were living in Denton, Texas, and this is after we got married. We would leave when Kevin got off work at 1130 at night and get in the car and drive nine hours to Denton, Texas, get there, and while my mom and dad were at work, we'd sleep all day and then get up and be ready to visit with them when they came home from, from uh, work. 
And one weekend we were traveling back to school and and if you've ever been in an ice storm in Kansas, I'm telling you, it's bad. Okay, there was sleet, there was hail, there was um, snow. And ever heard of such a thing as a black ice? Okay, black ice is when it's ice on the asphalt, but you don't see it. Well, we hit a patch of black ice in Pastor's 1978 Mustang. Okay, and we began to spin on this side of the interstate. We went through the median we went on the other side of the interstate and spun over there and landed in the ditch. The whole time, all I could say is, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So I said, well, that's good that that was what was coming out of my mouth, see? And so, but God, he did show up. Jesus did show up because we did not have one dent in the car. We didn't have to be towed out of the ditch. Once we got ourselves pulled together and stopped crying, we got out of there and we went on home to, to Kansas City. But, you know, when we call out to Jesus, he answers us. And he has to do something. We have to do something to get his attention. Um, even in their fear, these disciples cried out, and that activated his sensor. Just like with this lamp, you have to activate the sensor. I still remember the very first message I ever preached in homiletics class, which is preaching class in Bible college. And actually, my professor was Dr. Kevin Baird, okay? <laughs> Which, you think you would get an easy A? Oh, no. No, no, no. You ever worked for your husband? I don't recommend it. No. <laughs> I work for him now. I just don't stay here all day, okay? Um, and so, um, you think it's an easy A, but it's not. He's even harder on you. But my first message uh, was Jeremiah 33.3, which is, Call unto me, and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things that you do not know. That was it. And Jesus will help us if we call out to him. Now, let me just tell you what that word call out means. It means to cry out to someone as if to get their attention. Okay, let's say I'm talking to Catherine down here. It's not like going, hey, cat, hey, okay, it's not like that. It's not like even if we were at the fair. How many went to the fair this week? Okay, let's say I see Catherine. She's way over there on that side of the midway, and, and I, and I want to I get her attention, but, you know, I don't want to make a fool out of myself, you know. So I'm like, hey, Catherine, Catherine, Catherine. Eh, well, she didn't see me, so I, I'll catch her the next time around. No, this means, Catherine, help me! Get over here! Her mother says she's done that. Okay. <laughs> That's what that kind of call out means. You see, when you call out to God like that, not, hey, Jesus, you know, I can take you, I can leave you. No, this is in desperation calling out to him. That's when he's going to answer. You know, there's people, and I used to be one of these people, who think that because you come to church two out of four, or maybe even every Sunday, that God's obligated to show up for you. That's not how it works. No, nope. I used to think that because, you know, I love the Lord. I really did. I got saved when I was eight years old, and I've always lived for the Lord. So I loved him. And uh, I wanted his will in my life. I wanted to do it right. But I had this idea that, you know, if you kind of just do that, and, and uh, I, think, I think Pastor told me that somebody preached this over the weekend about that faithfulness is not just showing up. When the word says for us to be faithful, that doesn't mean just be faithful in church attendance. That means be faithful in all that you do and how you see the Lord. Well, that's what this is talking about. But anyway, I used to think that if I was faithful, my life would be peachy keen. You know why I thought that? I thought that because I was a religious young woman. I was very legalistic. So I thought if you follow the rules and you don't wear this and you don't go to movies and you don't go to dances and you don't, you know, you don't, I had a long list of don'ts that that's, obligates God to show up in my life. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says to study, to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It tells us to hide the Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. So you may be here today a lot like I was. And you're saved. If you died today, you'd go to heaven. But you know what? You're not seeing abundance in your life. You're not seeing joy and peace and prosperity. You're not seeing any of that. You're not seeing fulfillment. And you might want to think about this morning, is it because you're not a workman studying to show yourself approved? 
You know, Creflo Dollar, he's one of my favorites. He says this. He says, for the word to work in your life, you got to learn to work the word. Have you ever heard him say that? That means you have to find a scripture. you got to get it. you got to dig through the word, and then you've got to let the word work in your life. You've got to allow it. You know, if you, this is not in my notes, but, you know, if you, if you will look at the Bible and you will read it like I've been reading it, and that's very specifically so that I don't miss anything. It says, let this mind be in you. That means there's a, a way of not letting this mind be in you. You see, you have to do what the Bible tells us to do. Okay, why is this? This is because our God is emotion-activated God. He's emotion-sensitive God. Now, let me tell you, there's also people, and we all know somebody, and don't, don't say it out loud, their name. <laughs> How many of us know people that can quote 150 scriptures, but they aren't living in one of them? We all know people like that. The Bible doesn't say to know a lot of scripture. It says to be doers of the word and not hearers only and not quoters only. Even from the very point of salvation, we have to do what the word says to be saved. Let's look at that. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Let me tell you what the message Bible says, actually translation says. If you say, Jesus, you are the master of my life, then you will be saved. Wow. When somebody presented the gospel to you, did they say it that way to you? I think a lot of times it's not said that way because you think, oh, if I, if I believe in Jesus, I'm saved. Well, let me tell you what. No, that's not true because it says that even though devils believe and tremble, belief is not enough. It also isn't this. It isn't Jesus, you know, oh, I feel really ugly. I feel really d- bad about the sin. The, the guilt is just overriding me. It's just, oh, I mean, I've done some pretty bad things in my life, Jesus, and I really want to get this guilt off of me because it feels nasty. And so I'm going to come to this altar and I'm going to say, Lord, I thank you that you died on that cross to pay for my sins. And I want this ucky feeling off me and you're going to wash me as quiet as, as clean as snow. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. <sighs> that makes me feel a lot better. And then you get up and you go, but you know what? I'm going to keep living the way I'm living. I'm going to keep getting drunk. I'm going to keep sleeping around. I'm going to keep partying. But the whole time I'm doing it, I'm going to say, I'm sure glad you paid for that on that cross because that guilt is all gone. No. I'm sorry if that's the way you were told you get saved, but that's not how you get saved. You You see, it says, if you say to him, Jesus, you are master of my life. How many of you heard the Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, Take the Wheel? Okay, raise your hands. Don't act like you don't listen to any secular music. <laughs> okay, they play it on Christian stations too. Okay, all right. Uh, so that's, that's your out for the day. We'll believe that. Okay. Um, Jesus, Take the Wheel. It doesn't mean Jesus, take the passenger seat and you can give me some advice when I'm heading down this road, you can be going, now, Tracy, you really ought not be going down that road. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm just your Savior. You know, I'm, a, I'm not the master of your life. I'm just your Savior. I just cleaned you up. But you just go ahead and do what you want to do. No. Uh-uh. It says that he is now driving your vehicle. Okay? And when you're saying, hey, Jesus, let's pull it over here to Joe's bar. He's going, are you kidding me? Are you, that, when you get that little, that little thing in your heart going like that, that's him. And he's going, are you kidding me? We don't do that anymore. Now, can you still do it? Sure you can. Does it displease him? Oh, yes. Okay, we won't get into eternal security today. We'll leave that for Pastor Bear, okay? (laughs) We won't go there. All right. Um, But Jesus is to be master of our life because God is a God, a motion-sensitive God. When I point to that, that was when that was supposed to be clapping on and off, okay? All right, so how many of us in this room are married or in, or in a close friendship relationship? It can be girl with girl, you know, just friendships, okay? All right, is it fun to be in a relationship with somebody when it's one-sided? It's not very fun to have a friend and they're unresponsive to you. I mean, you, you kind of feel abused, don't you? You feel like it's all on you. Sometimes in marriage, the men do not raise your hands and say amen real loud, Okay. 
How many of you ever feel like you are in a mystery game trying to figure out what sets off your spouse's sensors? Bless my little husband. He's, he's 700 miles away. And yesterday I was having a little hormonal breakdown. Kaylin says, amen. She was with me in the car. And I was crying on the phone. It had nothing to do with preaching. I was just having a hormonal breakdown. And, uh, and I was crying on the phone. And he was like, I'm 700 miles away. There's nothing I can do. What do you want me to do? Bless his heart. He was like, I'm trying. I'm trying. And I was like, there's nothing you can do. Just fine. Just nothing. And so I said, just call me back later. So he calls me about four hours later. And he's like, are you better now? Of course, by then, you know, I'd already gone to Target. I'd bought some stuff. I felt better. You know, I was like, I'm totally fine now. He's like, oh, oh okay, okay. You know, bless his heart. You can just sense him like he's like tiptoeing out there in the hotel room. So anyway, that's a whole nother message in itself. But God, God is not near as difficult to figure out as our husbands or our wives. Now you can say amen. Okay. And why is that? Because we actually have a manual for God. It's called the Bible. See, now, if we could all have a manual on marriage, we'd be good. Okay? Somebody needs to write that. Okay? <laughs> Let's look at another scripture. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Let me tell you what the Amplified says. I sought, inquired of the Lord, and required him of necessity and on the authority of his word and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That's a little bit different, isn't it? Required of him of necessity. Do you really need him? You see, he wants to be needed and on the authority of his word. I've been studying the John Bevere series, Drawing Near to God, and uh, he had this great revelation about Moses. Now, some of you may have already heard this, but act like you didn't, okay? Um, in Exodus chapter 3, it's Moses having seen the burning bush. Okay, let's look at that. Verse 2 through 4. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. You see, when Moses took the time to stop what he was doing and look at the bush, just all he had to do, he had all these sheep. You see, he had all these sheep. He was doing, he was doing a, his job, okay? He was doing his job. He wasn't being some lax employee. He was doing his job, and God called to him through this burning bush, and he stopped and he turned aside to look. Well, when he did it, God spoke his name out loud and gave him his life's purpose. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Now, isn't that amazing to think that if you would just turn aside, that God would call you by name? Brenda Denerowitz. I mean, that's a hard name. <laughs> Brenda Denerowitz. And say, I know where you are, and this is what I want you to do. You see, we, we make this so difficult in our minds, hearing from God. I'm telling you, God's not asking us to go to Africa, people, okay? Some of us are thinking, oh, if I don't know, if I really, like, surrender to God, he might, like, call me to go to Africa, okay? A few people get called to go to Africa, right, Eric? Okay, a few people, but not, I, I, I sincerely doubt that all of you in this room are going to get called to the mission field, Okay? He's just wanting some of us to stop what we're doing and turn aside to listen to him. When I went down to the all-night prayer meeting at Free Chapel where our son Clayton's on staff, Pastor Craig Mossgrove, do you know Craig? Yeah, and Alex down here used to go there. Um, he got up to, to speaking that night and he was praying. He's just an anointed man of God. And he, he prayed this and I stopped and got my pen and wrote it down. It was so good. He said... Some of us need to repent from Facebook until we spend some time in the book. Isn't that the truth? A couple of months ago, I fasted. The Lord said, you need to fast Facebook. 
Not that I was doing anything wrong. You see, we don't have to be doing something sinful for it to become a distraction. Okay, we need to just say to the Lord, I'm going to turn aside and see what you have to say. Let's look at Deuteronomy 28. It's the, we didn't do it this morning, but in our corporate confession before the offering, we, we talk about this chapter. It says, now, I sh- now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all that he commands. I'm sorry, that I have commanded you today that your God, the Lord your God, will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Because why? Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then it begins to list all the blessings. It says your finances will be blessed. Your body will be blessed. Ladies, your womb will be blessed. You will be blessed coming in and you'll be blessed going out. Your enemies will come against you and be defeated right there in front of you. Ooh, I like that one. (laughs) Your reputation will be great. You will lend and not borrow. And it goes on and on and on. And why does it say that? Because our God is a God who is a motion-sensitive God. He responds, when we do this, he does his part. Let's look at Psalm 37. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now let's stop there for a second. I started looking. Delight yourself also in the Lord. There's a hill song, a hill song song that I was listening to last night. It says, all my delight is in you, Lord. All of my hope, all of my strength. Is our delight really in him? I delight in going shopping. Is there anything wrong with going shopping? No. How many of you delight in going hunting or going fishing or playing golf? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. (laughs) Sometimes we delight in spending time with our friends. Nothing wrong with that. But if our delight is so easily met in those other things, and then we think, oh, yeah, it's Sunday. i got to go to church. I've got to have my devotions because, you know, God knows I'm supposed to be a good Christian. I'm supposed to be reading my Bible. Have I been there? I've been there. I was that good little girl that checked off the list. But that's not his, that's not his desire for us. His desire is that our delight would be in him. And you know how we get that to happen in our life? It's by turning aside doing what Moses did and just listening to him and him speak to us. And then we actually do what he said and see the, re- the reaction that comes from that. See what really happens when we do what he says. I'm telling you, it'll, it'd be like so exciting for you to see that when you do what God says, he will come through for you and, and you'll just be so blessed. And then you think, well, shoot, I think I'm going to do that more often. And then you begin to delight in him. All right. Are there days that some of us, for all of us, that we think, okay, Lord, It's kind of like some days I really am so glad I'm married. And then some days I'm just married. That's true. I mean, some days you just look at me and think, I just love your little, like Sally and Jason are down here, they're newly married. You know, you just look at you and think, I just love you to death. I just want to kiss your little face off. And then some days you're like, there's your face. One more time. Okay. But all of us have our days. So I don't want you, I don't want you leaving here with condemnation. Like every day I don't wake up and go, oh, yay, today I get to live for Jesus. Okay, maybe not every day you feel like that. But do you delight in pleasing him? That's the heart's, that's the heart's desire. That's, because it says that if you will do that, he will give you your heart's desire. Okay, I don't want to get in my head of myself. I've got some good notes about Laura's cell here in a second. Okay, verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Now, let me tell you what my notes in my Bible say. Consciously commit all your plans to the Lord daily and do not presume on his help if it is uninvited. Wow. Wow. You know, that kind of made me think of that old joke about the farmer who gets married. 
gets married 50 years ago. And he says, I told my wife I loved her 50 years ago. And if anything changes, I'll let her know. You know, some of us are like that with God. We think, you know, I got saved down here at an altar when I was 12 years old. And I said, Lord I'll, Jesus, I'll live for you. And since then, I haven't really talked to him much. I haven't really asked him what he thinks about my day or what I'm supposed to be doing today. No, this verse says that we are to commit our plans to him daily and that don't expect him just to show up and direct your path and make things straight for you if you haven't invited him. My husband has always taught me ever since he's been my Bible college professor. He says, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not go where he is uninvited. He's not just going to horn in on your life. Okay. Now, Jesus is waiting for us to activate his sensors. Now, after a message like this today, some of you may say, oh my goodness, I bet there's some stuff in my life that I'm not doing right, and I just don't know what it is. And so I think I'm going to call Pastor and Tracy and see if I can get an appointment with them and figure out what's going on in my life. Well, guess what? I'm going to save you the phone call. Because right now, I'm going to give you a four-point counseling message for free. Okay? Here we go. Number one. You come into our office and you say, and you say, um, I want to know what's wrong with my marriage. There's something obviously wrong with our marriage, obviously wrong in our family. Our children are misbehaving, and I don't know what's going on. Um, and so I want you and Pastor to tell me whatever you see in our lives. Well, number one is, we only see you at church. Okay? We only see you at church. And most people can kind of hold their act together for about two hours on a Sunday morning. Not everyone. But most people, okay? And then you're here for like an hour and a half on Tuesday nights. And then you're here for an hour on Wednesday if you're a really good, faithful church attender, okay? So what's that? Less than five hours a week. Most people can pull it together. How many of you have been in a knockdown drag out in the car with your husband and you pull up in the church parking lot and you're like, okay, here we go. Hey, hey, how are y'all? Blessed. How are oh, oh, we're just great. Loving Jesus. Mm -mm -mm. So my point is, you, we may not need to be the people you're asking. You may need to ask your husband or your wife or your employer or fellow employees, what is it that they see in your life that could be causing such friction? I know that's a hard thing to do, but do you really want help? Number two. You need to search the word for yourself. Most of us want somebody else to do the work for us. Isn't that true? I kind of like that. I'm just telling you, I want to brag on my girls, my, my Connects group leaders here for just a second. Every one of my leaders are excellent teachers. Okay, they search the word out. They prepare. They have got all their notes written out. And I mean, they, they, they know what they're doing. They know. They have prayed about it. They have, some of them have fasted every week before they get to you, come to them and all that kind of stuff. They really are prepared. But let me just tell you, that's fine. That's fine that you could come in and they can, they can spoon feed you for an hour and a half on a Tuesday night. But you know what? Some of you need to search the word yourself. You need to stop calling Beverly Stop calling Maria, stop calling Cindy Folsom, stop calling Laura, Kelly, Rachel, whoever. Stop calling them and get your Bible out yourself. Some of your Bible's got so much dust on it, it's been a long time since you looked at it yourself. And you know what? For all those little techies in you, you can go online to Bible Gateway and you can type in a phrase that you might need. Like, I need patience. And it's going to pull up some verses for you about patience. You see, you need to do the work yourself. Um, so you need to turn off the TV, the computer, the Facebook, the Farmville. <laughs> Y'all need to start stop harvesting those crops. You need to turn off your video games. And need to seek the answers from this, your Bible yourself. Okay? If you don't have a Bible... Please let one of our ushers know, and you will have one before you leave here today. You know, Hebrews eleven six says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's going to reward you. Let me tell you what it doesn't say for all of us who grew up in the charismatic renewal. It doesn't say he is a rewarder of those who will get in your car and drive 17 hours to a Benny Hinn conference. 
or a whoever, I'm not picking on Benny, but whoever conference, and you will stand in line 14 hours, been there, done that, okay, I'm not saying I haven't done it, okay, stand in line, we stood in Brownsville Assembly of God parking lot during the Brownsville Revival for 12 hours and 104 degree heat with 25 teenagers, did you not think I wanted to kill somebody by the time I walked in that church? They would not let you go and TT, okay, you had to stand in line, okay, and we got in there, I've done all that. And you, and you rush to the front of the church to get there and, and you stand in line praying for somebody to lay hands on you and anoint you and prophesy over you. Now, do we believe in the laying on of hands and prophecy? Absolutely. We did it last Sunday. I stood right down here, laid hands on people and prophesied over them. We believe in that. But the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not stand in a line for somebody else who has sought him and they lay hands on you. Okay. We believe in all of that, but we're talking about what is going to get the reward and what you're looking for to happen in your life, all right? Number three, if you come to Pastor and I, you say, well, we're having some financial problems. And there could be a whole lot of reasons why you're having financial problems, okay? Have Pastor and I gone through times in our life where we've had financial problems? Absolutely. Were we tithing? Yes, we were. Sometimes you just go through a season of testing, okay? Sometimes you go through a season of laziness. And the word of the Lord is, get off your hiney and go get a job, okay? <laughs> so that might be the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord may be that you need to go and sit under Maria's class on financial peace, and you need to have to live on a budget. Okay, sometimes budget sounds like a four-letter word to me, doesn't it to you? It sounds like an ugly word, you know? I don't, I don't like a budget, but is it necessary for our finances to be in order? Yes, it is, okay? But... Let me just say this. If you come in and you talk to Pastor and I about your finances, the very first thing we're going to say to you is, are you tithing from all the income of your house? Let's look at this. Malachi 3, 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have I robbed you, Lord? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not even be room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he may not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor should the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I'd say that's a good, you do your part, I'll do my part. He even says, so bold to say, I dare you. I dare you to trust me in this one. So I really started looking at that this week, and I said, Lord, okay, if that's the situation, what are people missing? First of all, let's break it down. Bring all the tithes. What is a tithe? What does the word tithe mean? 10%, right. So, remember when Pastor got up here a couple times, I think he had did it with Noah, did it with Kaylin. When Clayton was here on staff, we did it. He had the big checks. Okay. Let's just say, for example, that you have $6,000 income coming into your house every month. What is your tithe on $6,000? $600. Okay. So, if you come to church on a Sunday morning, four weeks in a row, and you write out a check for $100, which is a big check for you, Write out that word, $100. And you do that for four weeks in a row, that's $400. Are you paying your tithe? Right. Actually, you know what? That's even wrong terminology that I just used. We're not paying our tithe. We're returning to the Lord his tithe, okay? So we need to change our vocabulary. We are returning to the Lord his tithe. All right. So first of all, that's where some of us are messing up. Because you know what? We have never written a check that big in our lives. And we're like, whoa, I'm telling you, that's a, that's, that's a pretty big check there. Let me just hear, when Pastor and I sold our house on Johns Island, the gift plantation house, anybody, anybody ever see our gift plantation house? It was a nice house. It was a really nice house. And uh, we lived there for 14 months. But let me just be honest. We were over our heads financially. We had just gotten ourselves in a fix. And we began to pray, oh Lord, we repent that we have built 
bigger barn than we can pay for. And would you please send somebody? Please help us. Lord, we will, we will do anything. And you know, the Lord sent somebody from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, came to the door, knocked on the door and said, can I buy your house? And we said, yes. We paid $200,000 for that house, which I know is not a lot of money right now. But when we came to Charleston, the biggest house we'd ever lived in in Spartanburg was a $142,000 house, okay? And so uh, he said, I, I, I want your house. We, we paid $200,000. He said, I'll write you a check today for $350,000. You got your house. <laughs> you may have it. Everything right here. You see, God... God did that for us. Let me tell you, I had never in my life written off a check. What is the tithe off $150,000? $15,000. First of all, that, I'd like to say that is a lot of zeros. And that's a lot of words. Okay? But we did it. And I'm telling you, God has blessed us ever since. Every house we've ever had since then, we have made money off of. The Lord has blessed us in that. So I'm telling you, I'm not saying it's not a test. And it's not a hard thing to do sometimes, but you see, if you want the windows to have open up and you want him to rebuke the devourer, then you can't pick and choose what part of the Bible you want, right? Okay. All right. So that would be the thing that we would ask you. Then when it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Okay. What does that mean? All the tithe. Well, I started thinking, sometimes people work two or three jobs and in their mind, they think some of this little stuff is just kind of little piddly stuff. You know, when Pastor and I were starving to death in Spartanburg. Okay, we were working both of us full time at the church and with a combined income of $22,000 and two children. Okay, we were starving. We worked at night. We cleaned offices at night. All right. Now, some people in their mind, I think they think like this. And I'm just saying, you may have just done it out of ignorance, not any rebellion in your heart, but you think, okay, you know, this is my real job at the church. I get paid $22,000. Okay, so my bucket breaks down to so much a month, and so we're going to write off the tithe check. Now, this little cleaning stuff over here, that's just my extra money. And that's what, no, you see, that's income. That's income, so you tithe off that. If you babysit girls, boys, I don't know if boys babysit, but Kaylin, when Kaylin babysits, we have even taught our children that when you get any increase into your home, you tithe off of it. Last week, we stood up here and Laura presented from all of you, precious people, uh, a gift to us for Pastor's Appreciation Month. We ended up getting $1,000 in cash and the trip to Kiowa. Awesome. Before we even got to the restaurant at lunch, my husband's like, get out the checkbook and write off the tithe check. He said, we aren't, we aren't giving another dime to a restaurant until our tithe is paid off of that. And y'all, we didn't just pay off of the money, but off what we thought the Kiowa thing. You see, what is that? When our children, Kaylin's birthday, some of y'all blessed her when you gave her little gift cards. You know what? She ties off her gift cards. You see, any increase that comes into your home, that's how we teach. I'm not telling that, but that's how we teach. Because you know what? I don't want that window closing at all on me, buddy. I want that thing to stay open, okay? So now let me go on to point four. When Pastor and I, when you may come into our office for counseling, you may say, okay, show me what you, what you see in my life. The hardest part, and sometimes we've said this, are you sure you want us to tell you what we see in your life? <laughs> I know you say that, but do you really mean it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And most of us are at the point, when you come into pastor's office, you are usually so desperate that you're willing to, to take anything he might tell you. He would wish that you would come before your whole life's about to fall apart. <laughs> so um, try to keep that in mind. But um, then when we tell you, oh, we've had this response. Are you kidding me? You are wrong. You're absolutely wrong. That is not that. That is not the issue. Okay. At that point, we just go, Okay, well, thanks for coming in. Some of you say, you have so misjudged me. I cannot even believe that you think that of me. I mean, you've cried and you've like, okay, bye. Then you just go ahead, do it your way. You see, when you come in, the reason you're coming in is because you don't know what's wrong with you. It's called a blind spot. It's a blind spot because you don't see it. That's why it's called a blind spot. Have I been there? 
oh yeah. Eight years ago, when Pastor and I went through the hardest test of our lives, the enemy made sure he tried to rip our marriage apart. When you have lost everything, you have lost your church, when you don't know how you're going to make your house payment the next month, it is real easy to be sitting at home fretting and going, well, you know what? If you hadn't opened your stupid mouth, everything would be just fine. Well, if you hadn't gotten up there and preached, nee, 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 nee. you see, the enemy gets in there and all of you start blame shifting. Has anybody else done that besides the Bairds? And so we knew that we had to go to counseling. We knew we were on the edge and here we had three precious children in the house, and you're trying to not fight in front of them. Well, let me just say, can we just admit, we just blew that one, okay? The whole house was an upheaval. My children were going to school every day where they were told that their daddy was a heretic. And that we were liars and we were embezzlers. It was a rough time. So we went to counseling Two reasons why it was so hard. For Kevin, it was hard because it's hard to admit that you are the pastor and you have been doing marriage counseling for other people and you don't know how to help yourself. That you cannot fix what's wrong with you. That's hard. Number two, it was hard for me because this is what I thought, y'all. You girls already know this because I've already said it. I thought, finally, after 20 years, boy, he's only going to get his hiney in an office and they are going to tell him what I've been saying for 20 years. That he is wrong and that I am right. That isn't what happened. <sighs> Can I say that there were like complete whole sessions of an hour and a half that the guy was going, Tracy, you need to stop. And I was like, okay, thanks. Thanks, Chip. Okay. okay. It's time for Kevin. Oh, no, today is all about you. <laughs> oh, man. Because, you see, I had blind spots. I didn't see that the things I was doing was aggravating. And then I had that little nagging thing. You know, I'm just real good at, like, you know, I just start on something and I just, mm, 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 mm. You know, I think, okay, if I say it 14 different ways, he'll get it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not the only person who does that. <laughs> okay, so a blind spot is hard to face up to, I'll admit, okay? But if you want help, you got to be willing to do that, right? And look. We're married. We love each other. I'm telling you, I would just like to testify. Our marriage is better than it's ever been. I love that man. And I'm telling you, eight years ago, I tolerated him. And he tolerated me, honestly. We were committed and we were not going to get a divorce. But bless God, it was toleration 101. Okay? But we love each other. But it took somebody being honest and getting in our face and saying, you, Tracy, are the problem. You, Kevin, need to stand up to her. That was what he got. You need to stand up. Uh-huh. Okay, second point. Encounter. I've been to 28 encounters. And, and after every encounter, it, it's different. Every, every encounter is awesome. But the two most bondage-breaking encounters that I've ever been a part of came right after being confronted with the ball-face, in-my-face truth by a couple of my friends. Y'all who have been there, those of you who have been with me all these years, the first one was about what? Six years ago, Casey, when a pastor's wife friend that came up to me at a pastor's wife conference and she said, can I just say that you are very bitter and that everything that comes out of your mouth sounds really ugly? I was like, what? And I tried to like put on the happy face. Oh, you have so misjudged me. <laughs> no, she had judged it right. I just thought I was faking her out. But that was, that was an encounter that followed. That was like three weeks later. We had an encounter. And I'm telling you, God broke that off of me. But you see, I didn't see that in myself. Somebody had to love me enough to tell me the truth. Another one was just two years ago. I was down in Pensacola. And a pastor's wife looked at me and she said, you just think you are a grasshopper. And because you think you're a grasshopper, everybody treats you like one. And until the day stops that you stop saying you're a grasshopper, they're going to continue to walk on you and treat you like the scum on the bottom of their shoe. And I only known the woman for 24 hours, and she said that to me. It was hard. I was embarrassed. You know me. I cried a lot. But it changed my life. And now I don't think I'm the scum on, somebody, on the bottom of somebody's shoe. All right? So 
Blind spots have to be shown to us. Okay? So this morning, instead of making an appointment with us, ask the Lord to show you. I mean, we're still available if you need us. All right, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians 7, 14 and 15 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayers offered in this place. Now keep that, keep that scripture up there, Jerry. A couple of weeks ago, I opened up the Posting Courier and I saw this full page ad over here and it said, I don't know if I told you to put these words up there, it says, why do I hear, but I don't understand? And as soon as I saw that, I thought, now that will preach right there. You ever read stuff and think, now that'll preach. I don't know if only preachers think that. <laughs> but let me just tell you this story real quick. Tyler Baird, who was our children's pastor, our son Tyler, was deaf until he was two years old. I don't know if you knew that. When Tyler was little, uh, we would take him to one of his normal pediatrician appointments. And, you know, he's, you know, four or five months old. And, okay, is he starting to do a little talking? Mm, no, no, not really. He's not. He can, he's making some sounds, but he's not really saying mama, dada, nothing. Okay. All right. Well, then you come back months later. Well, is Tyler talking now? No, no, he's not talking. And then for a long time, our pediatrician would go, well, of course he's not. Clayton is his brother. Clayton's talking for him. I'm sure if he wants anything, Clayton's just talking for him. I'm sure Clayton's quite the talker. He's very articulate. And so I'm sure that Clayton's just talking for Tyler. And there's probably nothing wrong with Tyler. He just, uh, he just doesn't have a need to talk. And I'm like, okay. Well, by the time the child was two years old, he had not said a word, had not said mama, dada, Duck, dog, nothing. He can make the best machine gun sound ever, though. So, I mean, he can make some good sounds, you know? And you think about that. When your ears are stopped up and you make noises, doesn't it sound really cool in your head? Okay, so for him, see, he couldn't, he, he couldn't hear, but he could make some great sounds. Okay, so anyway, uh, side note there. All right, so finally, we took him to a, a different pediatrician, and we said, somebody's got to help us. And they said, you know, we're going to send you to ear, nose, and throat. Your nose and throat doctor immediately did surgery. He had been in practice over 25 years, and he said that Tyler had the worst sludge in his ear that he had ever seen in any child. He said he probably never heard anything more than a nothing. That's right. That's what his world, that's what his world sounded like. So we would put him across the room, and I would say, Tyler, Tyler, and he would turn around with this real confused look on his face. I still tease him today. I'm like, you got that confused look on your face. <laughs> but he could never repeat anything. You know what? And Tyler never received his healing until his parents got desperate enough to look for the truth. And some of us are never going to receive our healing until we're desperate enough and search out. If I'd stayed with that one pediatrician, Tyler probably still, he probably be wearing hearing aids and just going, well, bless his heart. I guess he's just deaf. Sometimes we have to seek it out. Okay? Marriage counseling. <laughs> go ahead. I've already talked about that. Very familiar passage I want us to talk about. James 4, 7. Now, I don't want you to put it up there, Jerry. This is one that, this is the way we, that we normally say it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And sometimes we even say it real pious like that. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. First of all, I got in the Amplified Bible. And let me tell you what that really says. <laughs> so be subject to God. Resist, resist the devil. Now let's stop there. You can't do any resisting to the devil unless you submit to God. Some of us have tried that before, and this is what happens. The animal, the, the animal, the enemy looks at us and says, are you kidding me? You and whose army? Because you see, we have no authority in ourselves. Unless we come under the authority of Christ, we have no power to resist the devil. So first it is submit to God. 
Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Now, what does stand firm against him mean? It, it, this is what it, it means. It means to, to war with him with the authority that you have through your obedience. It does not mean this. You come in here on a Sunday morning, and you come down here to worship, and you scream your brains out, and you do all that, which I love, okay? And you do that, and you say, devil, we're going to take back what you stole from us, and you talk to him with all the authority while you're in here. And then you walk out there, and by 6 o'clock tonight, you have already cussed somebody out. You have already watched some filthy show on television. You've already opened the door to the devil, and he is laughing at you all the way, going, you ain't resisting me. You are opening the door to me. So be subject to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Listen. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests. Wow. Wow. And purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. When I read that, I said, ouch. What has become your lover? I don't know. Believe me, I had to already live this message all week preparing. I had to ask myself these questions. Can I just say, HGTV can become spiritual adultery? Not to just be harping on Facebook just because it's like the new technology. Can I just say this? I've been through this. That's why I had to fast it. You ever, you know, you get up on, you get up in the morning and you think, I'm just going to check Facebook for just a second, just to see if anybody said anything to me. And then you've been up pretty soon. You're 30 minutes. You're still on Facebook because you're looking. Okay, I'm like, oh, let me see what Karen Levitt's doing. Okay, let me see what Tammy's doing. Let me okay, and then somebody said something interesting to Tammy. You're like, oh, I don't know who this person is. And you look up there, there, and you're, you know, pretty soon 30 minutes is gone. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, okay, I, I got to get go. Oh, now I don't have time to have my devotions. I got to get in the shower. And then you turn around and do it again when you come home from work. I'm just going to get on Facebook just for a second, just for a second. And then here it is, 11 o'clock at night, and you are so tired, you can hardly hold your eyes open, and you fall into the bed, and you go, oh, Lord, I really do love you, and I'm so sorry. I just don't have time to spend with you. And he's saying, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> we have time to do whatever we want to do, okay? I'm not picking on Facebook, for, for, but for me, I got to really lay that thing down. I started to get on it yesterday, and the Holy Spirit said, Are you kidding me? What are you talking about on Sunday? Okay? Because he was like, Have you read your Bible yet? Have you talked to me? Have you asked me about your day? Have you, have you asked me what my plans are for you for you today? Who gives a flip what the rest of the world's doing on Facebook until you've talked to me? You don't talk to anybody else. Okay, he has to talk to me that way, because see, I got a couple blind spots. <laughs> okay? All right. Now, let me tell you what this next verse says. Don't put it up there yet. Verse 9 is coming. I'm reading this in the Amplified Version, and I'm reading it out loud to my husband this before, before he leaves town. And I'm getting there, and, and I'm reading out loud verse 9, and I'm like, oh, whoa, this is a tough verse. I said I, out loud, I said, Lord, you obviously don't want me to read that. I mean, you hate for people to feel worse when they leave church than when they come in. And you know what he said to me? Because he has to deal with me like he deals with me. Tracy, you don't choose which part of the Bible you read. He said, you have no problem looking at other churches who only want to preach the dessert words and saying, see, they only want to pick the good verses, but now I'm asking you, oh, Miss Holy Spirit Junior, to stand up in front of the whole church and you be the one to say the tough word. It don't feel too good, does it? I said, no, sir. And he said, you say what I tell you to say, and you preach what I tell you to preach, and you read this verse. And then he said this. You see, verse 9 is the motion that someone in this room this morning has been missing. Ready? Here comes verse 9. Let us draw near to God and be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep, over your disloyalty. 
Let your laughter be turned to grief and your mirth to dejection and heartfelt shame for your sins. Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. Wow. That's definitely not a dessert word. But my question, and I had to ask myself this, are we truly lamenting over our sin? Are we grieving over our sin? Do we really shed tears at this altar? You know, we go to a great church. I mean, Pastor Baird gets up and he, he, he preaches the truth, doesn't he? I mean, he, he's going to lay it out there. As my, my daddy said, he's going to shell the corn. Okay? And we have altar calls, which I'm just telling you, in this city, we are one of maybe 10 churches, 10 churches who even have altar calls. So we have altar calls. So we're used to that. See, anything, you can get used to anything. We can get familiar with anything. So pastor preaches the truth and we have an altar call. And how many of us have sat back there or right there and said, oh, I know he's right. And I really ought to do better at that. So I'm going to go to the altar because your heart's going like that. And you're gripping the chair and you're like, okay, okay. Everybody can probably see me sweating, so I might as well go. So you come to the altar, but do you really grieve over your sin? Or do you just say, okay, I'm going to do better? First of all, do we even call it sin? Some of us call it our issue or our struggle or our problem. You see, until we call it sin, we're never going to get free from it. As long as we laugh at our sin, because it says there, your laughter will be turned to grief. I started thinking, Lord, people laugh at their sin. If you've ever been on Facebook very long, and it really makes me very sad. And Anna's here. Anna's my friend from Spartanburg. Anna, sometimes I get on there, honey, and I see people that we know, and I see their pictures, and I see the things that they're saying on there about their partying last night, and I was so drunk off my butt, I don't even remember. And I'm thinking, do what? And they're putting it on Facebook. I'm thinking, do you not know who you have been friended? Do you not know who is reading this? And the scary thing is, or do they just not care? You see, they're laughing at their sin. When was the last time you wept over your sin? We have to humble ourselves so that he will lift us up. I'm going to end with this story. I'm going to be done. Prodigal son. Story set in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to give you the Tracy version. <laughs> Two boys, they go to their dad and they go, okay, listen. Well, the, not, the, not the older one, the younger one. He goes to his dad and he says, hey, listen, I'm not going to wait for you to keel over. I want my money now. Now, why the dad does it, I will never know. Okay, because I would look at him and say, guess what? Ain't going to happen, but whatever. Okay, so he divides up his money and he gives his son his inheritance. And he goes off to a far-off country to live the party life. And as long as the money lasted, he had plenty of friends. As long as he was buying the beer and bringing the drugs, people kept showing up. He had plenty of friends, and he had plenty of girls. But when the money stopped and the money ran out, so did the friends. I cannot tell you how many times in 29 years of ministry just blows me out of the water. People who have not darkened the door of the church in years, and if they have, have been ugly, hateful to pastor, have been mean-spirited, but when their rear ends land in jail, who's the first person they call? Pastor Beard. I'm in jail and I need you to come down here and bail me out because I know that's what the church is there for. There's your first myth right there, okay? <laughs> Pastor has never said it, but oh, when he's hung up the phone, he has marched around the bedroom and said, where is their drug dealer now? 
Where's the man who sold him that Coke and landed their rear end in jail? Where is he now? He's the man with all the money. Where is the, where's the beer drinking buddies? I'm going to talk to these little precious young man, but I'm talking to the four girls. Where is that stinking no-count boy that told you that he loved you and took your virginity from you? And now you're pregnant. Where's he now? You see? And I know it's sin for boys as much as it is for girls. But boys aren't the ones that pay for it. It's the girls. You see, that's where the prodigal was. He had run off. And he'd done it all. And everybody had left him because he ran out of money. And now he's in a pigsty. Now he made some motions that got God's attention, the Father's attention. But I want to talk about this first. Hitting the, the pigsty, hitting the bottom of the pigsty is not a motion toward God. That's a motion that you get to because you're just in sin. Okay? That's not a motion toward God. You see, a lot of people make that mistake. They think, God sees me. I am down at the bottom, man. I have hit rock bottom. Why doesn't God come through? Because that's not a motion toward God. How many of us know people that have been to rehab 4,200 times and they have never hit bottom enough to say, God, I need you. Hitting bottom isn't a motion toward God. But this is a motion toward God. It says there in verse, where is that? Let's see here. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, you see, that's the first motion. You've got to wake up and come to yourself and say, how in the heck did I get here and I am getting out of here? Whatever it takes, I'm getting out of here. That's step number one. Then it says here, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Motion number two. He, uh, motion number two is he arose and he humbled himself and asked to be a servant in his father's house. He arose. Not he's going to sit back here on the back row of the church and get his feelings hurt because nobody reached out to me. They saw I was there today. And like, nobody came over there and talked to me. Everybody knows I lost my job. Nobody's coming to pay my bills. No, that's not what it says. He came to himself, and then he arose. He got up himself and started heading toward the Father. And he humbled himself and said, I'm not worthy to be a servant. He didn't say, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell my daddy, I am back, and you better give me my room back. You see, so many of us do little bits and pieces of this, but we don't do the whole thing. Do you all know? All, I know some of you know people because some of them are in your family that have done that. Miss Andrea, I know it, honey. I know they've called you and said, I am coming home and you better get the room ready and you better get that refrigerator filled to Mountain Dew because that's what I want when I get there, Grammy. You see, that's not humbling themselves. But this is the best part. Motion number three. You see, what happens is we have that movie moment. You know, I love those movie moments. I'll, I'll always talk about that. You know, he goes running down the road. His daddy comes running. They embrace. Dad's falling on his neck and he's crying. He's like, honey, I love you, son. I love you. I'm so glad you're home. And he's doing all that. And that's when some of us go, well, daddy obviously forgives me. There's really no sense as going into the details. There's no sense me bringing up that I have sinned against heaven and against you. But let's look at verse 21. That's exactly what he did. And the said said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, when his daddy was bawling his eyes out on him and saying, I love you, thank God you're home, he pulled his daddy back like that and he said, Daddy, I was wrong. 
Daddy, I sinned, and I'm not worthy to be in your house. You see, number three is he, dis- he did, he actually did what he had decided he was going to do. That's the problem with so many of us. I was the chief offender of them all. When I was this girl's age down here, I lived at the altar of First Church of the Nazarene, Seymour, Indiana. I lived there. I could have just had a bed at the altar because I was there every time the doors were open. My heart was stirred to do the right thing. There was an old song, Pentecostal song. I don't know if any of you have old time Pentecostals. Lanny Wolf song. I'm so tired of being stirred and not being changed. I was stirred every time the preacher preached. And I'd be at that altar and I'd cry my eyes out. (laughs) Then I'd get up. I'd go back and be the same old girl. Because I never... I cried. Yes, I cried. But I never said, this is sin. And I need to become insignificant, Lord, so that you can be big in me. I was concerned about, do I still look like the spiritual giant of the youth group? When I come down to this altar, do I still look good? Can I still retain my awesomeness in the church? And everybody think I'm Miss holier than thou. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things, a lot of blind spots that a lot of us have. Others in this room are thinking, I never think that. Well, some of you in the room are going, oh, I always think that. That's the difference when you come to encounter. That's the difference between the prodigal son and the Jacob. Okay? But I'm just telling you, some of you need to come to this altar today, and you need to stop your crying, and you need to start your confessing. And you need to say, I was wrong, Daddy. In the words of John the Baptist, <laughs> I must decrease so that he can increase. 